We have been slowly but surely, um, by God's providence and grace, walking through the book of Acts. And for the last few Sundays, we've taken a, quite a, a little bit of a departure from that, talking about things that are both grounded in Scripture but timely to us. Uh, we, last, last week, we talked about New Year's resolutions. Um, and really, the exhortation was for us to commit ourselves to the Lord, to commit ourselves to the Lord. Self-improvement should not be the goal of 2019, but self-submission should be the goal submitting ourselves to what God has for us, and there are many ways where we can do that. Um, so this Sunday, we're going to do something also a little bit different, something we do at the beginning of the year. Um, every year, I say every year, but it's only our second year as a church, so every year, uh, Lord willing, um, something we do at the beginning of the year, and that's one is just reminding us of who we are as a church. Um, we have lots of activities going on. We have huddles. We have groups. We're, we're serving in different areas, um, and it can be easy to miss why we do what we do. In the business and the flurry of activity, sometimes we will miss the most important things. So sometimes it's good to stop and pause or remind ourselves. A great man once said that, you know, people oftentimes don't need new information. They need to be reminded of what they already know. And so hopefully this is a reminder for some of us, but it may be new to some others because we're going to talk about our DNA as a church, our DNA as a church. So in the 1860s, there was a, a Swiss chemist by the name of Johann Frederick Meischer. And this guy, he was actually studying the white blood cells. It's, it's a, white blood cells are a huge part of our, our antibodies and our immune system. And so he was actually studying that using bandages from a nearby clinic. Now, what Johan didn't know is that he was going to make one of the greatest science discoveries in modern history. He actually stumbled upon DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid. Are you impressed with that? All right. Amen. Deoxyribonucleic acid. I'm not that smart. My Wikipedia skills are impeccable, y'all. Um, deoxyribonucleic acid, what we call DNA, is the foundation of who we are, are the building blocks of life itself. And while he was looking for something else, he actually stumbled upon this discovery. And one of the things that he, we began to realize, not just him, but later scientists would add to um, his research, the Genome Project and others, and one thing we would find out about who we are is about 99.9, between 0.5 to 0.9% of our DNA between one another is exactly the same. So it doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter what you look like, doesn't matter what country you were born in, 99.5 or 99.9% of our DNA is exactly the same. All of the visible differences are from that less than 1% of difference between you and I. Now, that's a whole message that I promise you we're going to get to one day, that God has united us because we're really not that different. But think about your height, your hair color, your accent your predisposition to, to certain diseases, your immunity against certain diseases, all of that comes from less than 1% of difference between you and I. We are over 99% exactly the same. So when I talk about DNA, what I'm talking about today is that core conviction, the core beliefs, our, our common identity as a church. Now, we will look different. We do things differently. Amen. But what I'm talking to talk about today is the essentials, not just who we are as Radiant Church, but even if you're not a member of this church, I'm going to talk about the DNA of the believer. What is that shared identity that we as Christians should have one from another? Even if we worship differently, even if we sound differently, even if we gather at different times, what's that shared identity that we should have? And that's what I'm going to talk about today. And at Radiant, we encapsulate our identity with the statement that we are God's family on mission. Every word of that intentionally chosen, we are God's family on mission. This is more than just a platitude we put on the website. This really does define our core DNA. People, 
you know, church planting has become this, this popular thing in some circles, the idea of starting a, a new church. It's almost this, this, this lauded and, and, and thing. But and people all the time ask me, like, what's your church planting philosophy? Like, what's your methodology for church planting? They got all these books and, and seminars and 10 steps and 12 steps on how to grow a church and build a church. And I tell people, I'm, I'm not that creative. I really am not. You can ask my wife. Like, I'm, I'm not. I would have bare walls, bare furniture. You know, I would have nothing, and I'd be fine with it. So I'm not this creative, innovative person. So when I wanted to plant a church, I was like, man, I think, I think the Bible has something to say about it, so let's read what's in the Bible and let's do what we see there. And so really our common convictions as a church didn't come from me trying to be innovative, didn't come from me trying to be different or unique, but really I've just tried to see what was biblical, what was in the text of Scripture, what was God's heart for gathering of people, and then let's do that. And as I begin to study Scripture and begin to see what the church really is, I arrived at this statement that, At the end of the day, all churches, all Christians gathered are God's family on mission. Now, the church you came from or the church that you used to be a part of or the church you're still a part of today may say that differently. I'm not saying we have to all use the same language. I'm saying at the end of the day, I believe that all believers should hold on to this reality. And so I want to walk through piece by piece this identity statement, and I want to do a couple things. One is I want to encourage you and remind your heart about why we're here why we're here at Radiant Church, and also why you are here. Why were you born into the family that you were born in? Why do you have the job that you have? Why did you go through the things that you went through? Why is your life the way it is? Hopefully, one of the truths that you walk away from is that it was on purpose, because God has a plan to work through all of those things. So let's lay some foundation. Psalms 24, we're going to start with the first part of that statement, we are God's stop. We are God's. Now, quick grammar refresh. When you see a noun with an apostrophe yes, what does that mean? Possessive. Somebody's fresh, right? Everybody's like, what? Right? A noun with an apostrophe yes means possessive. So the first foundational truth of the Christian life is what? God owns you. God, the creator of the heavens and earth, who also created you, has a say in how you run your life has a say in how you spend your money, has a say in who you marry. Amen. That's all right. Let me prove it to you in Scripture. Psalms 24, verses 1 and 2. Verse 21, uh, verse 1 of chapter 24 says, The Lord and, what does that say? Everything in it. The world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. Why? Verse 2, for he laid his foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. You see, Genesis 1 and 2 isn't just the creation story. It doesn't just tell how God created the earth. It's actually the story of God's dominion and lordship. Because he created it, it's his. Unless you think we're just talking about trees and animals, let's zoom to a conversation in the New Testament. Jesus is having a conversation with an expert in religious law. Look at the first part of the story in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 28. It'll be on the screen. It says, Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Stop right here for a second. Would you assume that the answer that Jesus gives is an important answer? He's asking, what do I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to not go to hell but to be a part of the family of God? And look at what Jesus asked back. Well, what is written in the law, Jesus asked him. How do you read it? 
And he answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And what did Jesus say? You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So what does it mean to walk with God? It means acknowledging that all of your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, your obedience, all of it belongs to him. It's his. It's his. You see, God as Savior is an appealing concept. The wrath of God has fallen justly on us because we are bad people. Amen? On our own, we are bad people. We cannot get ourselves to God. We can never be good enough to get to God. So the idea that God would love us enough to take our punishment, give us his righteousness and perfection, that is good news. Amen? But that's just one part of the story. You see, in order to accept Christ as Savior, you must also accept him as Lord. If God isn't Lord over your life, you have serious reasons to doubt whether he is Savior of your life. And so the first reality, the first foundational statement of who we are as a church is that we are God's possession. Everything that we have, everything that we are belongs to him. That's good news. We'll get to why in just a second. We are God's, and we also are family. We are family. Now, this is a big one, because if you grew up in a a church background that I grew up, everybody called each other brother and sister. Oh, that's brother, such and such. That's just such and such. And it kind of becomes this cliche that's kind of, uh, that's devoid of meaning. We don't really know why we do it. We We just do it, right? We just do it. But the reality is, Just as we are incomplete in our thinking, if we accept Jesus as Savior but not Lord, we are incomplete in our understanding of the gospel if we think our Christianity is all about us. Let me read some scripture for you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and he gave him great pleasure. You see, we tend to think of salvation as one-dimensional. Salvation is between you and God. God is holy. You're a sinner. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. If you trust in him, Jesus saves you. Most people would say that that's true. And everything that I just said is absolutely true. The problem is it's not the whole truth, church. If your understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ starts and ends with what God did for you, you are missing one of the biggest promises of all of Scripture. Look at Ephesians verse, chapter 1, verse 5 again. What did Jesus do? He didn't just save us. He adopted us. He adopted us into his family. Let me make it plain. Jesus was teaching some of his disciples And his natural family, Mary and his brothers and sisters, James and some other folks, Jesus was teaching a bunch of his disciples, and his family came up to him and wanted to have a conversation with him. Look at what Jesus said in Mark chapter 3, verse 31 through 35. His mother, talking about Jesus, and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and he told him, look, your mother, your your mother, your brothers, and your sisters are standing outside asking for you. So someone tapped Jesus on the shoulder and said, hey, man, Mary and him are here. Pause what you're doing, go see your mama. What did Jesus say? Because he's teaching, he's trying to redefine this family concept. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? 
Looking at those sitting in a circle around him, he, Jesus, said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. You see, Jesus was building a kingdom by creating a family. He was building a kingdom by creating a family. And this family, this eternal family, is not bound together just by parents or lineage. It's bound together by the blood of Jesus Christ himself. And so Jesus didn't just die to save you, the sinner. He died to save you and to connect you with your brothers and your sisters, some who are in this building right now. And that is why we say we're not like family. We are family. That's not just something cute that we say on Sunday. That is a theological declaration that you and I, if you trust Jesus and I trust Jesus, we will be family for eternity. Forever. My natural family may, if they don't trust in Jesus, that relationship will end. But all who trust in Jesus, we will be family forever. And so all of a sudden, your salvation isn't just about you and God being okay. Your salvation isn't just about you going to heaven and you having your quiet time with God. Those things are good but insufficient. That means we have responsibilities to one another. You know, my father is getting older and... um, those of you who've had aging parents know that the conversations tend to get weird. They get a little uncomfortable. Because my mom and dad, and especially my dad now, he's thinking about what comes next. He's thinking about what happens when he's not around. And so we'll have conversations about just about anything. We're talking about the weather, just anything. And he will always end a conversation with what? Make sure you take care of your sister now. Make sure you take care of your brother. Hey, make sure. He's giving me these constant affirmations because one day... He's not going to be here. And as family, it's our job to take care of one another. Now, that's true of our natural family. How much more so true is that of our eternal family? That's why there's so many one another's in Scripture. Love one another. Forgive one another. That's God the Father doing what my Father's doing to me. Hey, I'm glad you, I'm glad you, opened your, I'm glad you woke up this morning, Philip. I'm glad you got your quiet time this morning. I'm glad you read your Bible. I'm glad you prayed. Hey, Love your brother today. Hey, forgive your sister today. Hey, pray for your brother today. It's the same reality. God is reminding us, y'all are family, now act like it. We should grieve with each other. We should trust one another. We should pray and care for one another. We should meet each other's needs. We should prioritize being with one another. Why? Because God died for a church, and that church is a family. That is what Jesus purchased. Anything less than that is selling the gospel in its power short. God loves you, yes. God died for you, yes. But he also died for all of those who put their name and their trust in Jesus Christ. And that makes us all family. And lastly, not only have we been adopted into this eternal family, but we have inherited the family business. And what is that business, y'all? The mission of God. We are gods. We are family. We are God, apostrophe S, owned by him. We are family, and we are also on mission. Here's a question that I struggled with when I got saved is, what comes next? I said yes to Jesus. I repented of my sins. I, I trusted in him. Now what? Well, I mean, okay, I joined a church. Okay, I'll do that. I should give some tithes. Okay, I'll do that. I should serve on a ministry. Okay, I should do that. I should read my Bible. Okay, I should do that. 
What comes after you say yes to Jesus? What comes next? All those things, reading the Bible, serving, giving, joining a church, all those things are biblical and good, but they all point in one direction to continue the mission of God. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 has become a rallying cry for the church. And for good reason, for it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This command I repeated again in the beginning of Acts chapter 1 as a reminder, this is what you're to do next. You just, Jesus had just died on the cross was in the grave for three days, came back to life, spent weeks with his disciples, teaching them as a resurrected Savior. And what did he leave them with? He left them with this command. Go teach, share others what you have seen, what you have heard. Teach them what I have taught you. What's often called the Great Commission, because it's the Great Commissioning of God. These are our marching orders. This is what our lives should be about. Jesus, earlier teaching his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, says that you are the light of the world, talking to those who would trust Jesus. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5 calls us ambassadors. 2 Timothy 2 calls us soldiers. Matthew 5, which we just read, calls us light. The Bible is trying to use all these metaphors so we would get what we're here to do. And that's to make much of Jesus. And the reality is, what greater call can there be? What can you accomplish in this life that would be more eternal significant than seeing someone who is dead in their sin come to life because of your life in Jesus Christ. Being a good husband, being a good father, being a good mother, being a good employee, being a good student, all those things are good. God calls us to do all of those things, but the chief end of our lives as Christians is to glorify God how? By living in such a way that points people to him, especially those that don't know him especially those that don't know him. Now, oftentimes when I heard that for the first time as a young believer, I thought, like, well, man, I, I, I can't preach or I can't teach like other folks can or I, can't, I don't know my Bible as well as some folks. Like, how do I do that? And this is the beauty of the gospel, y'all. God from eternity past puts you in the perfect position for him to get maximum glory out of your life. So you keep trying to be like someone else, trying to talk and pray or read the Bible like someone else. You're trying to emulate what you see, and some of that is good as the part of discipleship, but you already have all that you need for God to do what he needs to do in your life right now. You already have all that you need for God to do what he's called you to do right now. All he needs from you is your obedience. All he needs you to do is say, okay, God, these 24 hours, they're yours. When I go to sleep and I wake up, these 24 hours, they're yours. And watch how God uses that. All that stuff that you went through, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between, God is going to use all of that to touch someone, to reach someone, to share truth with someone. Y'all remember the, the days when you remember the days when you're the weeks that you're reading scripture and you're waking up early and you're doing your devotions and, and things are going really well. 
It's funny how all the time when we're reading the Bible regularly, there's always an opportunity to share what you read that day, isn't there? You wake up in the morning, you read some scripture. Maybe, it's, maybe it wasn't as long as you would have liked it to have. Maybe you were in a rush that morning, but you got, in, you got in prayer, you got in the word, and all of a sudden someone wants to have a conversation with you. And that verse comes back to your mind. That prayer that you were praying with, something that God was showing you, all of a sudden now is being used to glorify God by helping someone else. Y'all, the reality is we need to be people who are in the Bible, in the word, on our knees in prayer, not just for ourselves. But for the people who know you but don't know God, who you see every single day. You see, someone's first step may not be showing up here on a Sunday. Someone's first step may not be doing an inductive Bible study through First and Second Thessalonians. Someone's first step may be just having a conversation with you on the lunch break. Someone's first step may be having a conversation with you on the sidewalk because you have hidden the word of God in your heart. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength, what comes out is Jesus. That someone is exposed to something bigger and more beautiful than anything this world can offer. And they take one more step towards life in Jesus. And they take one more step towards life in Jesus because of your faithfulness. Because of your devotion time. Because of you giving God what you have in your hands. Not trying to be like anyone else. Not trying to go into full-time ministry. God, the job that you're at may be where God wants you to stay. The school that you're at, you don't have to wait till you graduate to be on mission for God. God has put you right where you are around the friends that you have right now for you to glorify God by sharing Jesus right where you are. And it may not be leading a Bible study at your campus. That's okay. It may be just seeing needs and praying for people. It may be noticing the quiet person in class and, and having a conversation saying, hey, are you okay? Hey, can I pray for you? But being ready revolving our lives around, no matter what we accomplish in this life, y'all, to see someone go from death to life is the greatest joy in this life. Those of you who've had the, 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 the precious opportunity to share your faith with someone and see them go from, I don't believe, I reject, I don't want them, to saved a new person in Jesus Christ, what better moment is there than that? What better moment? It won't be the promotion. It won't be the vacation. It won't be anything else. It will be man. They were on their way to hell, and now they're not. And guess what? Now they're your brother. Now they're your sister for all eternity. So we should live our lives on purpose because we have a purpose. You have a calling on your life. People sometimes ask the question, like, I just just don't feel like I don't know what I'm doing with life. I don't know if I'm in the right place because we're always looking for the next thing. And I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about you. I am always usually looking for the next thing. What should I be doing next? What should I be doing more? I need to change this and I need to change that because that's just the way my brain is wired. I'm always looking to, to do more, and I can't celebrate where God has me right now. But the reality is we are where we should be right now. The steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. And you might have stumbled and fumbled your way to where you are, but God has a plan for you where you are. You might have stumbled. You might have felt like you dropped the ball, but God wants you to do something right where you are that only you can do. And that means your life is not insignificant. That means the giftings that you have aren't less than anyone else's. That means you have what you have because God knew that he could work through you. And so whatever else you may accomplish in life, if we are not on mission, we've missed it. We've missed it. But the good news is all it takes is a shift in our mindset for us to get on mission. You don't have to quit your job. You don't have to do anything different. All you have to do is go into these places with a renewed mentality that, okay, I'm here for God. 
I'm here to love people. I'm here to proclaim truth whenever I get the opportunity. I'm here to pray for my coworkers, not just gossip about them and complain about them. I'm here to work in a way that's excellent so that even my supervisors can, we can, they can hear truth in the gospel from me because I'm not a bad employee. <laughs> if you own a business, that was for you. That was a, that was a blessing for y'all. Hey, come on now. But that's, that's the truth, y'all. You know, that's the truth. You should be a straight-A student. Why? Because maybe you have an opportunity to talk to your professors about Jesus. Maybe you have an opportunity to talk to that straight-A student who struggles with pride, and because he sees you as a peer, it opens a door for conversation. The little things about how we orient our lives for the glory of God is what God wants to get out of our lives. Church, this is our DNA. This is who we are. We are God's family on mission, and if you are a Christian, this is your DNA as well. But this is good news for us, y'all. This isn't just commands that I'm trying to give you at the beginning of the year so you can act right. This is the hope that we hold on to. What does it mean to be God's? That means a loving, all-knowing Father is in control of your life. Okay, let me be real for a second. You have tried to be in control of your life. How well is that working? Not great, right? Not great. Yet we continue to try to be Lord of our own lives, master of our destinies, right? Because we think we know, even though it's never worked. And God, who knows all, sees all, understands all, and is all loving, says, hey, if you just give it back to me, it'll actually work out. So it's good news that we are God's people, y'all. It's good news that we are family. Some of y'all came from great homes with loving parents and loving brothers and sisters, and y'all sing on the holidays together, and someone's playing the piano, and it's beautiful. That's not my testimony, y'all. So it's good that no matter what my natural father may or may not have done, or no matter what my natural mother may or may not have done, or no matter what the relationship I have with my natural brothers and sisters, I have an eternal family that's my real family. And I don't turn my back on them, but that means I get to redefine what a father means if I didn't have one in my life, because now God becomes my father. I get to redefine what having a mother is like, because there's sisters in this church who are a little bit ahead of me that I can look to. That means I'm never by myself. Even if you were an only child, you are no longer an only child in Jesus Christ. Now you've got family everywhere. This is good news. And lastly, to be on mission means your life has purpose. Once again, even if you don't realize it, even if you feel lost right now, God is working. Even if you feel confused right now, God is working. Even if you feel like you're standing still, God is working. Why? Because God is in control. He is bigger than our sin, bigger than our mistakes, bigger than our understanding of him working. He's still working. And there's an opportunity, an invitation for us to join him in that mission. Before I close, I want to say this. This is a family reality. If you don't know Jesus Christ, then... These things aren't true of you. They aren't. The worst thing I can do is give you a a false assurance and and a false hope. But the reality is, if you have not made Jesus your Lord and Savior, then this isn't true of you. But do you hear the invitation? Romans 14, 11. I'll end here. For it is written... 
As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, there's two right reactions to this truth. If you are in Jesus Christ, and that is exciting, because when we stand before our Heavenly Father and he says, why should I let you in? We can say, nope, Jesus. We don't have to give a case. We don't have to to plead our defense. We trust in Jesus because he is our righteousness. He is our defense. But there is also a right amount of fear and terror that should accompany all those who said no to him. Because one day, either in this life or the next, you will bow down, you will bend a knee, you will confess Jesus as Lord, except in, in eternity it'll be too late. In eternity it'll be too late. God is inviting you, dear unbeliever, if you don't know Jesus Christ or if you don't know that you know Jesus Christ. Hear the invitation. God is inviting you to his lordship, his benevolent ruling of your life. God is inviting you to his eternal family. God is inviting you to purpose and mission today. There are some hard decisions in life, y'all. This is not one of them. Eternal sorrow and suffering or eternal joy with the Father God. Those are your two choices. It's a simple choice. It will mean you will die to everything, yes. But Jesus will do that. You don't have to worry about cleaning yourself up. You don't have to worry about getting yourself right. All you got to do is say, okay, Jesus, I'm I'm here. I'm ready. Jesus will do the work, but he needs you to say yes. Turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ today if you don't know him. If you do know him, turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ today because he wants to do more than you think in your life and through your life through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray with me, church.